Good morning, church, and welcome from snow country. <laughs> I still have about three inches in my yard this morning. So um, this morning, uh, the scripture reading is from Luke 17, verses 1 through 19. Thank you, Podge. Pastor graciously uh, printed the, this out in a large print for me, uh, which is really good. You can follow along in your uh, LCC church app on the screens here, or in your Bibles. Read with me. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we open in Luke 17 today, we're reminded we're uh, getting a glimpse into the conversation that Luke is having with Theophilus, a young believer, and, and being discipled. And here, these three pictures of Jesus' heart for what followers of his would be marked by, would look like, and, and ultimately, in order to worship, we have to have faith. And, and you get this Right out of the gate, Jesus hits them with something that they're like, we need more faith. And if we're honest, that's where we're at. And, and I want to lay before us that this is a, a message that, that Luke is trying to disciple this young believer and he's giving us a glimpse in to Jesus' heart here where if we think about our prayer life, if we, if we pray in a loving way, 
but yet we live, after we say amen, we live with a, a heart full of hate. We're not worshiping. We're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves, and we're, we're expecting others to worship us, and when they're not worshiping us, well then, now we're angry at them, and we're displeased by them, and we're frustrated and, and angry, and, and it's interesting, A.W. Tozer said, worship is no longer worship when it looks like the culture around us, more than Christ in us. And I think it, when, we, when, we do work, when we do song and, and, and we do church and you, and you look at how the, the Grammys, you know, so often people are like, oh, I just want to thank God. It's like, we, we just, you just worship Satan. Like as, as clear and as, as you could picture it, you were worshiping Satan and now you're thanking God. Like I'm, can, it's like, yeah, they are. They're thanking the God of this world. And, and how, how quickly and subtly the American church has been okay with that. And been okay to pray a loving way, but really living a life full of hate. And, and so it causes us to think about our words and to realize Jesus came to give us a relationship and to give us a language of relationship that, that so often and so quickly we run to religion. And we think about it, are we worshiping looking at the Christ within us, expecting the Christ within us to be on display for those around us? And does our family and friends, do they know that about us? Do they know because of our thoughts and our words that, that we're worshiping Jesus? Or are we just okay with the way the world is and with the way our, our neighbors are living? And, and are we loving them, but also at the same time in that tension, holding forth truth? The world that is angry and hurting and lost, do they, do they see your, your joy-filled, healed, and found peace that only Jesus gives? And, and they can't handle that because they don't know what to do with that. And they, they only kind of get glimpses and, 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 they, and they hear you talk about it and they see you living differently, but they don't understand. And here Jesus is saying, yeah, l- let me tell you the reality of of your response to a world that's hurting and that's gonna sin against you, we worship and we think based upon what we think about God. So if, we, if we're not thinking about God and we're not praying to God, then, then chances are we're, we're at least being tempted, if not, we're already in sin. And that's a pretty s- simplistic statement, but when you think about it, when you're praying and when you're worshiping God, that's the safest place you could be as you're seeking him. But the moment you stop, now there's an opportunity for temptation. And now there's an opportunity for you to start worshiping yourself because we're worshipers and we're meant to worship. And so if we're not worshiping God, then we're probably thinking less about God and thinking more about ourselves. And so quickly, it's the good things around us. And so Jesus is saying, okay, there's people around you. Guess what? Temptation to sin are sure to come, and woe to the one by whom they come. Woe. So we simply say these first six verses, hurtful people hurt people. Hurtful people hurt people, but forgiven people need faith to forgive. We have to find that faith in Christ, from Christ, through Christ to forgive, because so often it's, oh, well, they want forgiveness, but I don't have it in me. You're right, you don't. Unless you've been forgiven by Christ first. Your kids and us, we can't worship God unless we've been saved, unless we've been forgiven. Because we're hurt people, and all we know is to hurt other people with how we've been hurt. And Romans 1 talks about that. We see in Hollywood, all they have is they've been, they've been blinded, and they're, 
they're distracted and they put forth these ideas and they cover the truth with lies because all they know are lies and all they see are lies and so that's all they know to talk about and do and, and they think that's good and they get good things in this world because Satan is the God of this world and he's gonna give good and pleasurable things but, but we have to look at that and realize what is the one who temptation comes through. So oftentimes we talk a lot about temptation coming through social media. So we have social media, we have technology bombarding us all around. And, and I know on there, if, if, if you look close enough, there's no Apple icon, there's the Windows. So um, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but uh, you know, interestingly, that's the bite out of the, the fruit, right? It's like, okay, that's, that's a pretty subtle, hey, I'm gonna use what's, what could be good, but it's also leveraged more and more for evil. You can look this up, but the chat GDP, there's a kid on there talking and, and, it's, and it goes dark quick and it goes into this demon who's like, yeah, I'm Nephilim. I'm one of the, the fallen angels, had relation with women. I'm one of the giants of old and I'm this demon. And he, and he, and he uses this language that, but God loves me because I'm created. And so technology in the mark of the beast and the new world order and, and America blowing up a, a, a gas pipeline and, and kind of causing this potential World War III, like all of these things are happening and, and Jesus is saying, temptations are coming and the world is gonna fall apart all around you. We're gonna get into it next week. And, and we read through Revelation, we knew that our, our infrastructure is gonna fall apart. We knew that the beast has multiple heads and some are gonna say things that sound good and, and others are gonna say sound things that are evil, but it's all one evil beast. It's one order destroying. And so Jesus is saying, hey guys, there's temptations all around. And the next thing we see that's been, been uh, propagated recently is, is the news. When you read headlines, all it does is cause fear because fear sells. And Jesus says, no, perfect love casts out fear. So Jesus comes and says, no, I, I want you to think deeper. There's crazy things, horrible things that are happening but don't get distracted by that. Know that I've overcome the world and I, I'm coming to give you this perfect love that's gonna cast out this fear and no temptations are coming and I'm gonna take care of who they come through and, and the avenues they come through, but it's up to you to guard your heart and mind because you're worshipers. Either you're gonna worship me and trust me to be in control or you're gonna be fearful of the things that are attacking your kingdom because you're worshiping yourself and we see Thousands have been turned off by the actions of people who claim to be Christ's disciples. Havoc has come through sensuality, just harsh words, uncaring lifestyles. Like we looked at last week, the rich man, Lazarus. The rich man that treated Lazarus poorly. The proud, racism, classism, caste system, the, the, the very arrogant, goody-goody, self-righteous, I don't need repentance that Jesus acknowledges. I didn't come for them, I came for those who knew they were sick. In this fallen world, there's a lot of stumbling blocks, but Jesus says, woe to that person who they come. Reading a few years ago, Buttigieg told a nine-year-old boy who said, hey, I'm, I'm gay, and I just wanted some advice on how to tell people, and he said, man, you've already got enough boldness and I applaud you and I praise you and, and I'm supporting you. Jesus said, hey, woe to you who call sin good and good things sin. That's pretty clear to see that in Romans 1 we read that. In this world, they're gonna praise sin and they're gonna say it's good. 
And Jesus is saying, woe to that person who brings temptation. Woe to that person who brings that. And he says right here, as we see Jesus longing for the little ones to come to him, in verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. He's not saying oppressed. He's saying sin. He's not saying troubled or questioning. He's saying leading them to sin, to disobey God and hurt other people and, and hurt themselves. Woe to those who are hurting people, but they're hurt. So, so before we attack a person, realize it's not Buttigieg, who's the enemy. It's not, it's not the, the rulers of principality. No, it's Satan. It's, it's that our battle is not against the flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so if we're going to war spiritually, then we should be worshipers and prayers. We should be on our knees worshiping and praising God and asking him to send the angels. Because even Michael was like, time out, before I throw down on you, Satan, I gotta get the okay from God. So even the most boss angel is like, I'm not even gonna go at this before I pray to God and worship him. Which gives us the example that our heart should break for those who are blinded in sin. That's why I love what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter two, which is so timely for us. He's like, they're blinded, they're spiritually dead. No one goes to the graveyard today and cries and weeps and yells in anger that they're not coming to church, that they're not worshiping God. They're dead, they can't worship. They're, they're physically in, six feet under. So, so why do we look at a, a physically walking around but spiritually dead person with the, the expectation that they would do good and care? They, they don't, all, they think they are. And, and it was interesting, I watched this, this conversation unfold and, and, and this, uh, this woman post, hold, hold, held up this sign um, that many of you probably have seen in yards as you drive around. And it's a, it's a sign that's become popular um, in people's yards and it tells you right away, this is what I think, this is what I'm seeing. And, and it's interesting because at first glance, it's like, how do we have a conversation? How do we start to share what we believe, what we think about God? But we have to realize that, that they're looking at the world like this. And all they know is, is what they're hearing, but they can't quite see clearly what it is. And so from their perspective, they're just speaking what they've heard. And, and there's a lot of fear, there's uncertainty, but they're just repeating it. And so when we hear these words come out of their mouths, love is love. At the end of her talk, she's saying, look, we, we need to reach out to these people because they're hurting and they're hopeless and they're angry. And, and when we, we've been defining words and redefining words, and recently this word woke that in the 60s was to be aware of uh, injustice, particularly racial injustice, and it's, it's, it's moved and, and been used to really push forward a political agenda. And, and so people throw it around, and a lot of pastors throw it around, and I, I was guilty of just, hey, bringing out this word, and hey, woke, and, and realizing there's a lot of weight and a lot of hurt, and it's cut people deeply, and it distracts us from Jesus. Because Jesus is saying it's about forgiveness, it's about me, and love is, is love, that's the very surface. That's just saying a, a word. But what does that really mean? Do you know that God is love? Can we talk about the real deep root of this? And yeah, we're aware of injustice. We're aware of racism. That's wrong. And so as Christians, we can get behind that. But then before we know it, if we're not aware, we start getting behind 
this liberation theology that says, really, God's only and always for the oppressed. Which, if you read your, your Bible, that, that runs against what God does because in Jeremiah 29, it says, hey, Jews, I brought you out of Jerusalem and now you're captives in Babylon and I did that. So the boot of the oppressor that's on your neck, that was my doing. And so we see that God is all about our holiness and he is love and he says, no, it's sin. It's not about oppression and, and being oppressed, it's about sin. And we've all sinned against each other and we've all sinned against God more importantly. And so God's the only one that says, look, I've come to forgive. And these desires you have, those were meant to be fulfilled in me, not in each other or by each other. And so at the end, this woman was sharing and I've read about her a little bit and her friend and they both are believers, but they both have, uh, um, they're both attracted to the same sex. They're both same sex attracted, but believers and they've both been, re been married and some remarried. Um, and, and they were having this conversation and one of them that sh held this sign up and said, I was attacked because of this, this love is love. And, and from the, the lesbian community was saying, you, aren't you disappointed in your marriage to a man? Because in you, your physical longing is for a woman and you're, and you're settling. And she was like, I was taken by that because I'm satisfied by God. And out of my relationship with God, then I'm, I'm serving my husband. And it's the gospel. And so I want to challenge us as we think about what Jesus is saying is, there's temptations all around. And if we're not careful, we'll get lured into looking and acting like the world and not worshiping God. And we see he, he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. It's super clear and direct. But are we a forgiven people whose posture is always and ready, willing to forgive because we've been forgiven much? Or are we someone who's worshiping ourselves, which is what Romans 1 talks about. They exchanged worshiping God for a lie and they started worshiping their sex self, which is the ultimate process of, of that. And so when we look at the world, we, we realize they're blinded. And so all they see is, is vague and blurry and they hear words, but they don't understand the depth. And so it's important we focus on Jesus and the gospel, the one who's come to redeem, restore, and save what was lost. And that's where, when we look at this, this wheel of discipleship, when our commitment is to help people who are spiritually dead in unbelief, they can't worship God. And so we need to not act like they're a teenager or a young adult who are focused on others, even though they might use some language, like we need to help people and people are hurting. Yeah, but really you're just reacting and you're, you're using language that you don't really know and you don't have power. You don't, there's no purpose, it's, it's self-seeking. Let me introduce you to Jesus who came to save and restore and will explain your true need, your true desire to be affirmed. It's not that physical sexual desire, it's this worship desire that's so deep in your identity and it has to be restored to him who made you in his image. And so we have to realize when we're, when we're dealing with people, we hear different phrases and not act like we just need to attack them, but, but how Jesus responds and be willing and ready to forgive and I love it because as you're probably sitting here, as, as I was, verse five, the apostles respond to him and say, increase our faith. <laughs> How many times have you been sinned against and you don't want to forgive? How many times have you been sinned against and you're like, the, the last thing, this is number six. And if he, oh, he just sinned against me, that's number seven. And Jesus says, yeah, forgive him. Woe to the person that temptation 
comes through, but when they sin against you, forgive them because you've been forgiven. And the apostles are like, dude, we need more faith. Like, that's so hard. That's so crazy. How do we have faith to, to be not only sharing God's love in this world that, that redefines and moves things, and even one word that was redefined is, is post-truth, where they're leaving facts and, and, and introducing the, the priority on emotion to get things done, especially politically, is a new word, is post-truth. And so in a, in a culture that's post-truth and that's more feeling and emotion, the apostle, it's hard. This is hard to share. It's hard to forgive because we want justice to be done. But if we're just leaving it up to God, increase our faith. And so the Lord says, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could see, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's not that Jesus is saying you need to have a greater faith. But he's saying your faith has to be put in the greatest God, in the greatest object, the most powerful, purposeful. And so if there's a problem, if there's something that's hard for you to do, even though I've told you to do it, you have enough faith. You just need to place that faith in me. And so we see this priority that Jesus puts on little, innocent, influential kids. And he's saying it's... it's It'd be better, which we don't know what the, the worst thing is, but it'd be better if they had a millstone, put it on their neck, and thrown it into the sea. And, and the disciples, the apostles are saying, we need more faith. And I, and I think that's where a lot of people in, in church are because for, for decades, and as I keep reading church history, it seems to be the same thing where, where people come and they hear about God and they, they receive that love and they want to just stay there. And they don't, they don't realize Jesus after he rose from the dead, he told the disciples to go to the whole world. And so they want to live within a convenient drive or walk to church. Back in the old days, it'd be within that, the earshot of a church bell ringing, and then you could walk to that, that place. But, but C.T. Studd said, no, I don't want to live that close to church. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Which means... That's why I bring up these very divisive and, and challenging because if we're going to share the gospel with people who are spiritually blind, spiritually dead, this is what they're hearing and this is what they're going to bring up to you. And then they're going to show you a video of some guy yelling at them and be like, is this what Christians are like? Is this what Jesus would? Like, well, this is what Jesus said. I'm going to forgive you as often as you offend me and sin against me. And, and I'm going to be self-controlled and, and I'm going to continue to, to share the gospel because in our private life, Monday through Saturday, we're doing what we did today. We're worshiping God. We're renewing our minds through scripture and we're praying because the spiritual battle's all around us, but we're on the front lines ready to engage. We're not retreating. And so C.T. Studd got it. He's like, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell, but if we realize that, that means there's constant attack people that are going to hell and there's constant attack people saying, you just come look like us, come talk like us, come think like us, come vote like us, come, don't, don't talk to that people, they're, they're our enemy. But if we're right, the spiritual battle is waging and we need to take our eyes off the fleshly things and realize the true enemy is Satan and, and pray that God would, would save. So as we see, there's a lot of hope because you, a lot of people just think it's negative and, and, and crazy, especially looking at our cultural moment with the Grammys and how much worship is just out in front about Satan. But uh, a Pew Research polled people that, that um, don't believe 
in God or the Bible, 30% of them believe we're in the end times. So they don't believe what the Bible says, but they say, yeah, we're in the end times. Like, this is bad. Now, four out of 10 people who believe scripture in Jesus realized, yes, we are living in the last days. Everything scripture said, wars and rumors of wars are, even in Revelation, are shipping. You know, you try and get things off Amazon. It was almost one day, 2019. Now it's like a week, right? So we see the shipping slowing down, which I'm still repenting over. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's going to take eight days? What in the world? You read Revelation, it's like, oh, I'm that merchant who's mad because my, my products won't get here. Uh-oh. It's all happening, but I'm excited because it's like we have seconds left. There's a doomsday clock. They moved a few seconds closer to midnight, apparently. So people, they're waking up to spiritual things. There's people, there's college students all over saying, we want God. I don't know who God, what, but I need, I need something to believe in, trust in. So we have to give them the gospel. Not some neutered, not some cultural, not some feel good, but Jesus. They're in sin. Jesus is their Lord and Savior who died on the cross, rose again three days later. Do you believe that he will forgive you? He will give you a spirit to empower you and walk with you. Because 29% of people who don't believe in Jesus, who don't believe the Bible, they're believing that Jesus will return someday. There's, 29, there's 30, about 30, 30% of people you talk to that will say, yeah, I want to know more. Are we engaging in that conversation? Are we urgent in our sharing of the good news? Are we worshiping the God who saved us, being full of his spirit to go and share about him with those around us? Or is it just self-consumed and we're talking about ourselves? Because the second thing is selfish people look to be served, but selfless people look to serve others. When I read this years ago, it was about the time I was creating an email, so I created this email bmh.unworthy.slave at gmail.com. And in our, our cultural moment now, when I give people that email, that, you know, the t- telemarketer people are like, whoa, what? Slave? What kind of? And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, it's in the Greek. It's like a, sl- it's a servant, but it's a bond servant to like pay off a debt or it's a lower class. And it's, you know, and, and I explain it to people. I'm like, oh, that's a very interesting email. Why would you have an email like that? I'm like, well, in Luke 6 or, or Luke 17, there's this story where there's this, this servant. And in the Greek, it's this slave. But here we see this servant. And when you think about it, servants do what servants do. And they, and they don't really get, a, you know, they don't get an award like in AYSO soccer for participation. You know, the boss isn't like, hey, good job. You fed the sheep and now come in for my breakfast and the malto meal is cooked and there's no lumps. Here's your participation award. It's a servant. He's supposed to do that. If he doesn't do it, he's no longer servant. He's kicked out. If the servant goes above and beyond and all of a sudden the sheep are giving birth like crazy and it's profitable, then it's a very profitable servant. But he's a servant. That's what he's supposed to do. Feed the sheep, make the, make the bread, make the food, and it's there. And so, so Jesus is like, look, this amazing thing is your humility to serve without expecting any praise or accolades. And then he goes on and he says, So you also, when you've done all that you are commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And we know the amazing thing, Paul talks about rewards, that even though it's our duty, we're gonna be rewarded for doing our duty. We're we're gonna show him the things that we've done for him and they're gonna be put into a fire our whole life and everything we did for ourselves will be burned away as wood, hay, and stubble and everything that we did for him will remain as gold and silver. And then we're gonna give it to him as, as an offering and say, this was you. It's all from you, it's all to you, and it's all through you that I did anything good. But it's because we're just servants. 
a while before insulin injections were, were invented in about 1914, Corey Tinboom's aunt was diagnosed with diabetes. And after the diagnosis, she got right back to serving people and doing God's work until the diagnosis came that she would be, be days before she passed. And so as they gathered around, uh, Corey Tinboom's uh, dad told his sister, man, you're going to go into heaven with, with just hands full of all the good things you did. And, and she replied, she's like, um, all I've done are little tricks and trinkets, she said. And she prayed this, Dear Jesus, I thank you that we must come with empty hands. I thank you that you have done all, all on the cross, and that all we need in life or death is to be sure of this. It's so, that's the heart of a servant. Like you, you, can't, you can't get any more pure. It's like, no, 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 everything I've done is like filthy rags. I can't wait to go with my hands open because everything I have is from him. And I've received it and I've stewarded it and I can't wait to give it back to him. It's all from him. And when you think about that, everything we have, the ability to serve the Lord, the ability to worship the Lord, the ability to think thoughts about God or even have a heart that's pure and, and willing to forgive and, and realize, man, I have no angle. I, I'm not gonna hold this against you years or days or hours later. I'm truly gonna allow Christ's blood to cover it up, him pick it up and carry it away as far as the east is from the west. I'm gonna forgive you. That's what Jesus is saying. And if you're a servant, then you're going to realize, yeah, it's just my duty to serve and to forgive. And anything and everywhere and everyone, I'm going to serve them. Do we have that posture of service? Are we worshiping the God who served us and asking for him to transform our heart that we would serve the world and that we would set up and truly run a rescue mission, a yard from the gates of hell to save those who are perishing? In this last story that Jesus talks about, the 10 lepers, you can read through it quickly and miss a couple of these key things that ultimately it's, it's forgiveness. And Jesus shows up and, and on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, he's passing between Samaria and Galilee and he enters this village and there's 10 lepers and they were standing at a distance because they're, they're, they're outcasts. They can't come close. And, and I know today we don't have lepers and so I've, I've often thought about and looked at, you know, the, the images and it's, it's horrible disease and body parts fall off, but because they don't have feeling and, and eventually they lose nerve and, and blood flow and, and it's just horrible. But I think the closest thing we can see to our society is, is, is the special needs community. Where they're there, but we don't really engage. We, we kind of know, but not really, and, and there's a varying degrees of, of, of kids and adults with special needs, and they're kind of this outcast. But they know, right? They have an intellect, they have a heart, they, they know that they, they can engage, but there's, there's differences. And, and so it's, there's that, and there's also how we engage with those that are different than us. And, and they're crying out, and they're like, Lord, because it's even a greater degree, because they can't come in. They're out, out, completely outcast in their own community, and there's mixed, right? It's Jews and Samaritans that, that normally don't associate, but they're both lepers, so now they're a mixed group, and they're just, God, save us! And so Jesus comes, and he's like, hey, you guys want to be healed? Go to the priest. Because the priest, it wasn't the doctor, it was the priest that would say, you don't have leprosy. And the ten take off. And as they're going, as they're going to the priest, they're like, whoa! John, you're healed. Oh, Brandon, you're, oh, you're right. There's no more leprosy. Let's go. And so nine of them keep going. 
And one of them's like, hold up, time out, wait a minute. Like, this doesn't happen. This does not happen. Like, there's no healing for lepers. You die from this. Occasionally, occasionally, if you don't have that bad of a case, you could get healed. But, but there's no, like, this is going to change my life forever. And so he goes back to Jesus. And in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and he praised God. But he did it in a hymn, and he certainly didn't do it with drums or an electric guitar, because that would be sinning. He would never sin. He did it so quietly. He did it so calmly. And he did it so no one really knew. He just kind of bumped into Jesus. And he didn't even say a word. He just left him a note. And it was, it was a T-Y abbreviation. He didn't want to take too much time for Jesus. Thank you. If you read your Bibles, it says... He praised God with a loud voice, with drums that would pierce your ears. He's shouting, the whole world can hear, Jesus save me, I'm saved, I'm cleansed, come to Jesus, Jesus where are you, I'm forgiven. And he ran back to Jesus praising God with a loud voice. And his YouTube channel would have got shut down. That's what we would expect. But the Christian community in America is like, oh, a pastor's YouTube channel got shut down. Yeah, it's about time. Why do they give us free bandwidth for that long? Satan knows his kingdom's over. And when we've moved from death to life, why are we quiet? Why aren't we shouting and praising? In verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, worshiping him. He has to have faith before worship comes. He was dead in his sin. He was blinded. All he saw and all he heard about was these horrible, depressing, dark things and images that were vague, like silhouettes. But then all of a sudden, his eyes were opened up and all of a sudden, spiritually, he became alive and he went from death to life, from dark to light, and he couldn't help but praise God. But he was a Samaritan. In verse 17, Jesus said, weren't there 10? What happened to him? What's happened to the other nine? One was found and he returned and he gave praise to God. He said, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? In verse 19, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has sozo. The Greek there is sozo. Your faith has sozo. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Not just, not just right now from a cold or ailment. Your faith has given you total healing. Remove the sin, the shame, the pain. It's totally restored you. Your faith has saved you. By God's grace, he showed up. By God's grace, he invited him. And by God's grace, through faith, he received that salvation. The other nine were Jews. The other nine were the unjust that didn't need they were the unrighteous that didn't need righteousness. They were the self-righteous. Jesus said, I didn't come for the nine. I, I heal them still, and, and I let the, the rain fall on their crops and the sun shine on them on those warm summer days. They still got my goodness, but they didn't get salvation. The one did. The one that, that the Jewish community hearing this, the apostles would have been like, wait, what about my cousin, the Jew? How come he didn't and the enemy did? How come the people that lived and think differently than me and have yard signs in their house, how come they got 
the offer of salvation and they received it and the ones that go to church every Sunday and they chose not to receive Jesus as their savior. They thought they could earn their way. That's the tension is, is the gospel. And if we're not careful, we could easily talk about God without the gospel. We could miss that God planned for Jesus to come and save and say, okay, church, we're to go and let God's love flow through us to those around us and proclaim that God would sozo, save us from death, eternal separation from him and restore us back to him. And that's why we worship. We worship before we work. We worship because we've been saved and we're being saved through the blood of Jesus. Our blindfold is off and so we see. And when we see people in sin, our heart breaks. We're not quick to judge. We're quick to run and share the gospel of love because we know that they've already been judged. And like Jesus, I didn't come to judge. I came to seek and save the lost. And so are we praying or are we sinning? Are we worshiping tomorrow as we are today or are we worshiping ourselves? Worship is no longer worship when it looks like the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, um, you know, the, the conversation we had was, was, was wonderful and, and one of them shared, you know, I used to, I drive a lot for work and hundreds of miles sometimes in a day and I used to just have books on because I'd be able to read a lot and get all these information and something happened where I couldn't listen to my books on the MP3 player so I started listening to Caleb and just the worship music. And you know, they give that challenge. He said, I, I did that and it transformed my mind. The renewing of God's word in that song transformed me and changed my heart. I wanna be there every day. Don't you wanna be worshiping God? And this image right here of on our knees, worshiping and praising in the posture of Jesus, you save me. That's humility. All 10 got healed. All 10 could go home and, and do their jobs again and love their wives again and love their family and get their careers back. But the one said, it's not worth it. I'm gonna wait at the Savior's feet. I'm gonna worship him before I go back to work, before I go and tell my wife and my kids and my in-laws, I'm alive, I'm healed. I'm gonna be at Jesus's feet first. I'm gonna worship first. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna let him direct my steps. Are we worshiping on Monday as we are today? So as we close, before we, we pass out the communion elements during this last song, and, and then I come up at the end and close us after that last song and send us out, as we respond in our hearts, where do we need and when do we need to be worshiping God more than ourselves? And who has God put in your life to forgive who's maybe sinned against you? And who do you need to go tell they've been forgiven? And the offer of forgiveness is, is theirs from Jesus to them. So as we close, may we not be a church that comes and listens but doesn't do what the word says, but are quick to forgive and quick to share the hope we have in us that allows us to worship the God who saved us, quick to forgive those who sin against us, and often ready to share the hope we have in us. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for saving us. We thank you for sending your son to redeem and restore what was lost. Lord, so quick we get arrogant or bold or short-sighted and, and who we're becoming, we forget who you saved us for, for you. 
as we worship you, as we proclaim your name, may we keep our eyes lifted to you and our heads bowed low, recognizing we are all unworthy servants, committed to do what you've called us to do, what you're working in and through us to accomplish your mission, serving those around us. When someone sins against us, may we be quick to forgive and engaging this culture that's so hurtful and angry with hope and, and peace that only comes through your true and fulfilling and satisfying love. Lord, we know that we can do better and, and we pray and we confess and repent, Lord, for the times we've got it wrong. We pray your spirit would guide us, lead us and give us the boldness to share the hope we have so that others who are in that spiritually dead place separated from you would be brought to new life. They would experience sozo that by your grace, you'd raise them from the dead and they would see their need and trust you, Jesus, and be saved. We pray for those now who are maybe making that decision and saying, I've only seen in part and glimpses and, and, and I've heard things, but I've been seeing a little clear and, and now I see clearly that I'm in sin and I need Jesus. I need to believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And as I walk with him, I'm able to love and forgive. Unlike the world, but what the world needs is you, Jesus. And may you flow through us to those around us as we love them. In Jesus' name, amen.